Let's begin now with our first question. Jerry? Yes, uh, so back to Nebuchadnezzar uh, and him being an unbeliever. Would, would Daniel chapter 3 uh, support that in that in Daniel chapter 3 he has a, a kind of, uh, not repentance, but he makes a decree about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then in chapter 4 he's back to his old ways again. So, so for him to do that in chapter 4, uh, he has a pattern of doing these types of things, making these decrees or statements that are true, but then not having, uh, it just being momentary or, or spurious. Does that make sense? Yes. Is that, would that be one of the reasons why we wouldn't trust or have suspicion about chapter 4 and what takes place there? Because he's really not mentioned after chapter 4, right? Once more in chapter 5. But, okay, the question, was Nebuchadnezzar saved or unsaved? Would evidence for his lack of salvation be in chapter 3 after the incident of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In verses 28 to 30, 3, 28 to 30, he praises God and he makes a decree that nobody is to blaspheme the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's something good. But we know from chapter 4 that that was a, a fickle and fleeting statement. He didn't believe it in its substantial way. Practically, he protected the three friends and he praised God. But ultimately, he didn't adhere to that because of chapter 4. And then at the end of chapter 4, he makes a similar statement or praise of God for 34 to 37. He does so. So because he has these two incidents of praising God, because he was fickle the first time in chapter 3, could he not have been fickle the second time in chapter 4? I think, yes, he was fickle again in chapter 4. But others think, though he was fickle the first time, he wasn't fickle the second time. That's why they say, by the end of chapter 4, he became a believer. That's how they take it. And I said that he is briefly mentioned in chapter 5. Chapter 5, um, that's because Daniel the prophet in chapter 5, in reference to Belshazzar, a later king of Babylon, he said, this is what happened to your ancestor Nebuchadnezzar, and this is now what's happening to you, and you better learn a lesson. Okay. Um, but he doesn't say in chapter 5 that Nebuchadnezzar repented. That would support the saved Nebuchadnezzar belief if Daniel had said in chapter 5, your ancestor, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, actually did repent. So you better repent too. Daniel doesn't present it that way. But further evidence for the lack of salvation, the lack of salvation in Nebuchadnezzar, I take from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51. In Jeremiah 50 and 51, two lengthy chapters, these are oracles against Babylon. 
They are judgment oracles against Babylon. And in 51, 51.34, when he's indicting them for their crimes, their sins against God and the people of God, he says this, 51.34, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured me and crushed me. He has set me down like an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has washed me away. May the violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and may my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Jerusalem will say, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am going to plead your case and exact full vengeance for you. And I shall dry up her sea and make her fountain dry. And Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and hissing without inhabitants. They will roar together like young lions. They will growl like lions, cubs, so forth. Nebuchadnezzar's named there. And it's assumed if you just had Jeremiah 51, Nebuchadnezzar and the whole nation of Babylon gone, lost, punished by God for their crimes against humanity, specifically Judah. Okay. Would, would Ahab be uh, another example of someone kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, who was a wicked man who had a momentary repentance? But then with Ahab, you even have a later narrative where he's doing evil again. Yes. Is Ahab another example of this temporary repentance? He is indeed. In 1 Kings 21, 1 Kings 21, he murdered Naboth along with Jezebel. Je- uh, Jezebel is the ringleader, but Ahab endorses his wicked wife's actions. And they murder Naboth to possess his vineyard, right? Elijah the prophet confronts this. He confronts this in verses 17 to 17 to 24. He confronts it and threatens with this. It says, we'll pick it up at verse 23. 21-23. And of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven shall eat. This is the threatened punishment against Ahab and Jezebel. No one, unless he's wild and crazy in his interpretation, would say Jezebel is saved. Right? But Ahab and Jezebel are here together. Then look at 25. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And he acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. And it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Aha, they say. They say, look here. It says, 
that he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, fasted, lay in sackcloth, went about despondently. And even God says to Elijah, the true prophet, that Ahab humbled himself before God. And because he humbled himself, the evil that he pronounced, Ahab will not see it all. But later in his dynasty, they will see it. That's what it says here. So this supposedly is indisputable proof that Ahab truly repented. But let's keep reading. That's the, the usual problem, is that they don't read beforehand and they don't read after the passage in question. Look at chapter 22. And three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. Three years after that incident in chapter 21, right? And it came about in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and that we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of, of the king of Aram? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, that is to Ahab, king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Because Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is a righteous king. So he wants a word from the Lord. Ahab doesn't want a word from the Lord. So he won't consult true prophets. He only consults false prophets. Right. Okay? Who will tell him pleasant and smooth words. He wants a soothsayer. Verse 6. Then the king of Israel... Gat, that is Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. If Ahab truly repented in the previous chapter, why is it three years later he does not consult the word of the Lord? He goes to 400 false prophets. We'll see in a moment. Clearly they are false prophets. Why he goes to the false prophets and not to the true prophet. Jehoshaphat, a righteous king, knows that those 400 men were false prophets. He knows that they are using God's name in vain. He knows them to be false prophets. False prophets. That's why he says, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? You, Ahab, brought 400 men here to confirm what you already wanted to do. Give me a true prophet. Ahab, he knows of a true prophet, but he has not yet consulted him. Those true, believe, true believers don't go to false prophets. They go to the true prophet right. and they reject any words from false prophets. They go only to the true prophet, right? or the true messenger of God. They go to the word of God, not to false words, words of men. But in verse 8, not only does he know of one, Micaiah, but he doesn't consult him, and he hates him. Right. I hate him. 
And at this point, three years after his supposed repentance in chapter 21, Micaiah prophesies evil, that is, destruction and punishment to Ahab, because he persists in his evil. So if he does evil, God will heap evil punishment on his head. He's a, uh, he's a false believer. He's not a true convert. Because he repented in a superficial way, God said, okay, I will alleviate the severity of what you will see as I pronounce to Elijah. I will alleviate that part of it because you have backed off some. But that doesn't mean because you have backed off some and I have backed off some because you have backed off some, that ultimately there is no eternal punishment for you. That's not what we're doing here. There is this eternal punishment. Now one more place to confirm that these are false prophets. It says in verse 18, when Micaiah prophesies death, destruction, and widespread misery for Ahab and Israel, verse 18, then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. A deceiving spirit in the mouth of all of the 400 false prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed evil against you. Evil or destruction, disaster against you. And then it happens. Verse 34. Verse 34, now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. And the battle raged that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans and died at evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed throughout the army, Close to sunset, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his country. So the king of Israel died, and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king of Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the, now the harlots bathed themselves there, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. This is what Elijah predicted. Dogs will lick up your blood, Ahab. He dies a miserable death. He and the army of Israel, they lose the battle. He dies in this miserable way. How would you like it to be remembered of you that dogs licked up your blood? That's not a good thing. But it happened to Ahab. Then, for a few chapters, when an evil king is described later, who is occasionally the example 
of an evil predecessor, Ahab. He was known as an evil king. Fake repentance. Esau, fake repentance. Nebuchadnezzar, fake repentance. Ahab, fake repentance. There are many examples of fake repentance. Judas. Judas Iscariot. Pharaoh. Pharaoh, fake repentance. How do we know fake repentance of Pharaoh? Exodus... Exodus chapter 9, 9.27. Exodus 9.27. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. That sounds very good, does it not? Sounds very good, verses 27 and 28. That sounds excellent. He says, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one. I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord. And I will let you go. And you shall stay no longer. Doesn't all this sound good? Isn't that what people are supposed to say when they repent and believe in the gospel? They're supposed to say, I have sinned. They're supposed to say, the Lord is righteous. We are wicked. Pray for me. And then whatever I have been doing to sin against you, I'm going to stop that sin against you. So now you can go out of my land, right? Sounds all good. There is a key phrase, though, in verse 27 that tells us he's a faker. What's the key phrase in verse 27? He says, I have sinned this time. This time. That means... Pharaoh thinks he didn't sin before? He only sinned now? Did Moses know Pharaoh was a faker? No doubt. Yes. Notice. 29. And Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, the thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Look there. Moses grants reprieve. Does he not? Is that not what God said through Elijah to Ahab? Okay, I'm going to back off some. I'm going to mitigate my punishment some. That's what happens here too. Moses backs off some. Says, okay, the thunder and the hail will cease. I'm going to do this for you. However... I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. I know you're not a true believer. You said whatever you said in verses 27 and 28, but I don't believe you. I know. I can tell the difference between true and false repentance. That's Moses' statement back to Pharaoh to his face. Just like Elijah to the face of Ahab. This is a fake repentance. And you mentioned Judas Iscariot. He's also an example of that. Judas Iscariot, he did say, yes, he repented, but it was a shallow or a a worldly repentance that did not lead to salvation. Matthew 27, Matthew 27, Judas Iscariot. 
27, 3 to 5. 27, 3 to 5. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. He felt remorse. Verse 3. He returned the 30 pieces. Verse 4. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He knows what he did wrong. But was this true or false repentance? He went away and hanged himself. That's Matthew's way of telling us this wasn't real. He just had a lot of guilt on him and he didn't deal with that guilt correctly. He went away and hanged himself. If one commits self-murder, suicide, (coughs) is the one who commits self-murder a believer? No. Because the Bible says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate yourself enough to murder yourself, then you don't have the love of God in you to love your neighbor as yourself. And you won't murder your neighbor because you're supposed to love your neighbor or your brother as yourself. Another example of someone who did not love his brother as himself. 1 John. 1 John 3 11 to 15. 1 John 3, 11 to 15. Verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We cannot murder ourselves. We cannot murder others. We cannot have that kind of hatred inside our heart and manifest it by our deeds. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In him. To confirm that Judas remained unsaved. Remained unsaved until the very end. In John 6, John 6, 70 to 71. John 6, 70 to 71. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is A devil? One of you of the twelve is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Judas, one of the twelve. John 13. John 13. Verse 18. John 13, 18. I do not speak of all of you, And he means the twelve. They are in the upper room. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel 
against me. The Scripture has to be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Who is this? He's talking about Judas, right? That means that till the very end, he has to lift up his heel against Christ for the Scripture to be fulfilled. John 17. John 17, 12. John 17, 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one perished, but wait a minute, there's all still alive. This is John 17. Jesus has not even been arrested yet. That's in John 18. He hasn't been crucified yet. That's John 19. He hasn't risen from the dead yet. That's John chapter 20. He hasn't ascended to heaven. Correct? Why does he speak, I guarded them? Not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. Why does he speak in the past tense when these events have not transpired in history yet? Because this is all preordained by God, predetermined by God, for the salvation of the ones he guarded and the condemnation of the one he did not guard. He's talking about Judas. Judas never did repent. He could not, in terms of the correct interpretation of John 17, 12. Those who were guarded were guarded till the very end. Those who perished, perished forever. From the, to the very end of their life and forever after that. That's Judas. Let me, before I finish this sec- section or for this question, why do people want Cain saved? Yes, they want Cain saved. Why do people want Esau saved and Ishmael saved? Why do they want Ahab and Pharaoh saved? Why do they even want Judas Iscariot saved? And literally, just ask around, do some research. They actually want Hitler saved, Stalin saved, and many of the dictators and mass murderers of history and even today. Why do they want all of these men saved? Because they also want their relatives saved. They also want their relatives saved. They want themselves saved without repentance and faith in the true gospel. They want themselves saved without true repentance. They don't want to believe in the authoritative word of God and therefore believe it and obey what it says. They don't want that. Because if we have to believe it's authoritative, then we have to believe it, we have to obey it. And if I have to obey it, I can't have fun anymore, according to the sinful fun that they have. Right. Not that true Christians don't have fun, but they think that way. They think it's drudgery to believe and repent. But it's not drudgery. Not to the true believer, it's not drudgery. That's why they want all these wicked people in the Bible saved, so that they and others can also be saved and continue in their sin.
That's the reason. Yes? As a corollary to that, and it also then robs the glory of, of mercy from God. That Because Romans 9 says, if God is willing to make his wrath known upon us as a wrath, to make the glory of his riches you know, known upon us as a mercy. And so taking away his teaching, you know, using Esau as an example towards repentance, it robs the glory of, of mercy because we are of like nature as Esau, right? Uh, yes. Prior to Christ. So, I mean, it takes that away. <laughs> Correct. It takes away the glory of the mercy of God and the glory of the punishment of God, the judgment of God. It takes away God's glory. It's robbing God of glory because then there is no distinction. The distinction of righteousness and, or, and judgment, righteous judgment, and mercy is taken away. It's all blurred. It's all made ambiguous. So there's no true justice and there's no true mercy. Therefore, there's no true glory. Right. Well, I, in Psalm 130, it says, Forgiveness is with him that he be feared. So then if you don't have the right understanding of this, then you're not going to fear God. Yes. You don't, you're not going to go to him for forgiveness. Correct. Yes. In Psalm 130, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That's right. 